0: Hello, this is the 200th episode of the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your social media feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell, the author of the novel, The Good Lieutenant.
1: And I'm Vivi Ganeshanathan, also known as Sugi, author of the novel, Brotherless Night. Hey, Whit, happy 200th episode.
0: Thank you. Are we having a party? (laughs) I got so much stuff going on, I can't have a party. We're just. This is the party right now.
1: This is the party. (laughs) (laughs) And no one parties like we party, which means we're doing an episode on, yes, the news.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a real birthday party type episode, but it is a very important episode. So what have you been following in the news?
1: Well, um, I know someone in Cairo who's been helping displaced persons leaving Sudan. So my eye has been on the conflict there that started in mid-April. And we're talking millions of people fleeing the fighting between rival generals. And, of course, thanks to you mentioning to me, I've been tracking the coups in other parts of Africa.
0: I know. it's. Have you, did you count up how many? I mean, it's. it's there's, there's a lot of this going on right now.
1: I did a lot of homework, and I was watching Al Jazeera English to try to get this straight in my head. And so there have been six coups in Africa since 2020. Guinea, Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, Chad, and Gabon, and I think Gabon is the most recent.
0: Those are all former French colonies. France, thanks for the help. Uh, I don't know what <laughs> does that is that related. Do you think that's connected? What about Sudan? I mean, that's a, that was a British colony, in my understanding.
1: Okay, okay, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but today we'll discuss all this with a writer who can help us get a better understanding not only of what's happening in Sudan, but also how that connects to the other African countries that have experienced recent coups. I personally am super excited to speak to her because I'm a longtime fan of her fiction. I'm talking, of course, about Leila Abulela, who is also the author of the acclaimed new novel, River Spirit. Leila Abulela is the first ever winner of the Kane Prize for African Writing. Nominated three times for the Orange Prize, now known as the Women's Prize for Fiction, she's the author of numerous novels, including Bird Summons, The Kindness of Enemies, The Translator, a New York Times Notable Book of the Year, Minaret, and Lyrics Alley, which was fiction winner of the Scottish Book Awards. Layla's collection of short stories, Elsewhere, Home, won the Saltire Fiction Book of the Year. Her work has been translated into 15 languages, and her plays— The Insider, The Mystic Life, and others have been broadcast on BBC Radio. She grew up in Khartoum, Sudan, and now lives in Aberdeen, Scotland. Leila, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, This year, conflict between rival factions of Sudan's military government has led to fighting. That has prompted, unfortunately, millions of people to leave their homes. You spent most of your childhood in Khartoum. This must be hard to watch. How are your friends and family there faring? And what is the situation like on the ground from for civilians, from the reports you've been hearing?
2: Yeah, I spent more than my childhood in Khartoum. I actually left in my mid-twenties and I had already graduated from university and got married and had a baby. So I did a lot of life there. <laughs> um, uh, my friends and my cousins, about most of them by day 11 of this uh, conflict um, they had they had left they had left the country so um, people you know the first instinct of people was just to get away from this uh, sudden unprecedented sort of uh, bombing of their homes. And, uh, and after they left um, to, to Egypt and other neighboring countries, you know, things are very bad now for civilians because um, the, the, this war has indiscriminately targeted, um, you know, hospitals, it's, it's, it's bombed the airport, it's bombed, uh, you know, schools, uh, water facilities, electrical su- supplies. So it's just day-to-day
1: life is, is just un- unbearable at, at the moment. And, and, and that's why people have, have fled. So um, they went to Egypt. I mean, Sudan borders, I think, seven other countries. So I know there's a lot of people who are internally displaced and also people going into other countries. So your friends and family went to Egypt. Are there places within the country that are turning into refuges as well?
2: Yeah, uh, people, uh, most people um, went to the outside the capital. They went to the provinces. Uh, which it was, you know, uh, less fighting, and it's it's uh, they felt safer there. Uh, it just happened that my my family and the, the 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 people I know they went to Egypt. I guess because we originally have um, ancestors, our ancestors were from Egypt, so there's always been a, a connection with with Egypt. So that was the the instinct was to to kind of go there uh, as a place of, of of safety. But yeah, I mean, people have gone to. Uh, You know, Ethiopia, uh, Chad, uh, South Sudan, depending on, you know, where they they have links, where they have family members. But most of the displacement is happening within within the country
1: itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. At the top of the show, we were talking a little bit about, um, I know someone in Egypt who has been working with people displaced from Sudan. And I was also reading a story in the Times about... um, people who had gone from South Sudan to Sudan and were now returning, um, so doubly displaced. And I think that history of multiple displacement seems to be part of the larger story of the politics of this area. So Sudan became independent in 55. And I was reading that since then, there have been 15 coup attempts in Sudan, five of which have been successful. Can you talk a little bit about how General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan came to power in 2019 and and why he is now at odds with uh, Lieutenant General Mohammed Hamdan, who is the leader of um, the paramilitary force, the Rapid Support Forces.
2: Yeah, he came into power when, um, as a result of a, a civilian um, sort of revolution against the old general, the old military dictator. So Sudan, um, almost from the independence with very few and short exceptions has been ruled by you know one military dictator after after the other so it's really the army is the most powerful institution in the country it's got the biggest share of the um, the budget you know it's the richest institution it's the most powerful institution in in, in the country so um uh, basically just the the, the 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 changing the rule is the the whoever's ruling comes then with a coup one one coup uh, after the other and so this general Burhan took over with a coup but he was he was supported by this paramilitary um the degalow that you mentioned uh and um and, but then they fell out because this paramilitary uh, was meant to be incorporated into the the, the main army, but uh, they negotiated the terms in into which they would be incorporated in the larger, uh, you know, the the country's army. But they weren't happy with the, the the negotiations, and so they 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 went to war in the capital, you know, disregarding the 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 people who were who were present. So. Um that is is, is, is what uh, happened unfortunately. And unfortunately, the the paramilitary were kind of like um, encouraged and uh, uh, in the hope that they would uh, lessen the the power of the of the military. But it just backfired. It was just not a good idea. In theory, maybe it would have uh, was a good idea, but in practice it was just a disaster.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. Seems a little bit like the uh, issues that Russia has been having with General Prigozhin, who runs a paramilitary organization there, as we all know, and he's down dead, the the Wagner group that became powerful, then turned on the military itself. And there's this infighting um, in that way. And both of these generals that we were speaking of um, played a role in an earlier conflict in Darfur. I wondered if you could talk about that and how that contributes to their history.
2: Yeah, so this um, um, the Hamdan Dagalo has was was a warlord in in Darfur, and then all these atrocities that were are taking place down the capital took place in in Darfur, um, and he owns he's a, a warlord and he owns a lot mines and and gold and and you know quite a powerful uh, person in, in 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 the west part of of the country, and actually people in Darfur are saying now to the people in Khartoum, well you're just tasting what we had before, you know, the war has come to you in the capital. You used to be safe in your bubble, um, but now it, the war has, has reached uh, you as well.
0: So Suzanne was a British colony. Um, earlier in the episode, Sugi mentioned six African countries where there have been coups, uh, Guinea, Niger, Ta- Chad, Gabon, Burkina Faso, and Mali. These are all former French colonies. Um, Of course, they all have their own specific political context, but what role does colonialism play in what's happening here?
2: Well, colonialism uh, laid down the boundaries, the maps of all these countries in ways which the colonialists thought was logical, but it might not have been logical for the people uh, and the way they uh, were affiliated with their tribes and, and how they felt that they were loyal uh, but then colonialism decided to mark as this is Sudan this is uh you know this is Chad this is Guinea uh, so that is is one thing you've got you've got a, a boundary which is kind of European created um that is one thing and then the other thing is the way the 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 colonialists did the divide and rule and how they kind of like set would set one group against the other and play one group against the other. And so this this, this created these kind of like uh, uh, you know the, the divisions and the, the separate development in, in certain areas of the countries and, and how one you know uh, perhaps one tribe would be elevated and given uh, be favorites amongst the, the British and be given land and be given help, whereas others won't because they're deemed to be a threat. Uh, you know, so th- these kind of um, um, you know um, d- divisions and all of that. This is what 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 the legacy the is of of, uh, of of colonialism, I would say. But you know, at the end of the day, we've been independent for all these years. We can't you know blame uh, colonialism for every um, fault. You know, we have to as uh, you know as Sudanese we have to short- shoulder shoulder the 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 good part of the blame. Yeah
0: to what extent i this is just a thought experiment you can tell me if this is completely nuts but you know sometimes there are patterns uh in, in for instance in the united states if we have I'll, there'll be clusters of mass shootings right if if something bad happens it gives someone else an idea to do the same thing and i wonder if i'm i'm i asking like is it possible that because one one state has a coup and then and then some other group thinks oh we we could do that in our country is that Could that be contributing to the fact that the the reasons why there are this number of coups happening at this particular time or are they all individually oriented and there's no connection between them?
2: It could be. It could be also to do with the flow of the of the fire, firepower, you know, the guns, the weapons, the the defense, the defense industry is very secretive. We don't really know who is. We never hear about, you know, people uh, unemployment in the defense sector or how much the defense Ah. sector is earning. We we don't really we're not privy to all of these details. They're all top secret. So we don't know what is going on. And and, and I've noticed, for example, in Sudan, you get a very poor country and then suddenly, you know, a military uh, truck is driving down the road. And it's so sophisticated and it's so pristine and the soldier is dressed, you know, really very nicely. So. A lot of money is being poured into this. And if there's if there's guns and bullets and, uh, and you know, why why wouldn't they use them? They're going to use them because they're there. And 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 how come they are affording all of these things in a place where they can't afford vaccines and they can't afford, um, you know, schools and all of that. But suddenly there's no problem. They, they, they never run out of arms. You know, they never run out of bullets. And yet they run out of food and they run out of all these other things. So it's 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 the weapons is a a big part of it.
1: I mean, I can't tell you how familiar so much of this sounds um, as someone who writes about the Sri Lankan context. And as you mentioned, I mean, these and basically every single one of these countries has tremendous natural resources Um, you know, uranium, oil, etc. And so you'd think that the citizenry might experience some of the prosperity that could potentially come from that. But there's this extractive history of colonialism, and then um, the kind of modern replacement for that, which might be corporate. um, And, you know, I was doing research for this episode, and I was watching an Al Jazeera video where people were, you know, united spitting on the French flag. And um, so also, they seem to be Colonialism also seems to have offered them the opportunity to unite behind a common enemy, even when they don't actually support the people who are behind the coups. I mean, I can understand why people who are disenfranchised in a variety of ways might want change. A number of these countries also just flat out have security problems, like Whitney was referring to the Wagner Group. Like A bunch of these countries are some of the countries in the world most affected by terrorism, like ISIL-connected groups, et cetera. I mean, the
0: Wagner Group does business in Africa as well. Yeah. You know, that was what he, that's where he was yeah stationed
1: and yeah there's links with
2: this Hamdan Daglo as well yeah with the mining and 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 they have you know they 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 own some of these uh, mines and, and 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 all of that so there is there are the these connections
1: i was so in this video that i was watching i was struck also that they had a clip of uh, of vladimir putin saying neo colonialism um, and i was like oh now i know how to say neocolonialism in russian um so you know he's He's in some cases lending some of these um, military dictators support, but then there are, are also like very legitimate reasons for some of these populations to want change. You know, we're taught to consider coups bad. Are all of these coups necessarily bad? And what does it mean that so many countries are affected at this moment? Is it actually a lot of? Is it actually a lot of change all at once?
2: Well, if the, if the military is the most powerful entity in, 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 in the country and if, the, if it's a military dictatorship, the only way you can remove this dictator is through a coup. I mean, they don't go away. They don't come, They don't have an end of, uh, you know, um, period of office, let's say. They just don't have that. There is no elections. The, all the elections are all a, f- a fraud. So the, sometimes the only way out of this, of, of this is a coup. You know, and 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 people would hope then that the coup would come with a better, you know, a a, a more benign uh, military uh, dictator than the one than the previous one. Um, And then sometimes he then says, "Well, I'm no longer a a, a military person; I will become a civilian." But then he continues to rule as a as a civilian. So it's 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 um, uh, no. Sometimes the coup is the only way out of a certain situation. You know, it it gets to a point where that's the only way out of a particular uh, situation um and some of these coups that you mentioned that sudan went through i mean i was living there and in, in many of these throughout these many of these coups they, very little blood was shed it was they were peaceful coups you know you just wake up in the morning you hear military uh music on the radio uh the 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 airport is shut down the schools are shut down you just sit at home and suddenly you know the they're everything is shut down the radio the tv and then suddenly there's an announcement that that some so and so has taken over and then that's it it's just um you know it's pretty smooth that way and then they they put all the ba- the old regime in in prisons and then and then they just just continue so it's 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 not all the, not all coups are are extremely violent but what is happening now in Sudan is a vicious, is a vicious war that has been going on now for for for, for months, and which has it's happening in in the capital, in 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 you know areas which are um, you know where civilians are are are, are living. So the, the, you know people are getting caught up in it.
0: I mean, it seems like they're they're two bad guys fighting each other to run the country. I mean, who are the... Who are the forces of good in this case? I mean, are there are there non-coup, maybe pro-democracy or whatever other socialists or whatever other form of uh, some other form of government that are there are there meaningful organizations or forces pushing for that in Sudan?
2: There are and there are the local uh, councils that are helping people now. they are on the ground making sure that people are are getting to safety making sure that people are getting medicines maybe sh- making sure that people are getting water this these these on the ground community groups um you know are are the ones who are the the, the good guys and there were a lot of uh, pro-democracy groups and we saw in the revolution of 2019 that there were you know people were out in the streets and women were out in the streets wanting a civilian um government so that but but You know, once the the, the weapons come in and once the killing come in, the conversation stops. You really can't have a conversation with someone who's pointing a gun at you.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. The Western media has not done a great job of writing about Africa. In fact, you know, the writer uh, Binyavanga... Uh, Wynena had a famous essay called How to Write About Africa, which Granta published in 2005. Uh, Genocide in Darfur used to be a humanitarian byword. And internationally, that situation attracted a huge amount of attention, probably more than what's going on in Sudan is attracting now. Um, So how should we be talking about this? Should we and and in what different ways should we be talking about it? You know, and how do you judge the way Western media has been covering this story?
2: I think Western media was 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 good at the time but then they they pulled out. They didn't they don't have anyone there at the moment. So so they're they're kind of they're not there. How can they report if they're not if they don't have reporters on the ground? And I think that some of them don't have the some of the Western media um have had cuts to their budgets and and things like mm-hmm. that and they are um you know they 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 they're sending their reporters in to places where which interest their viewers even more you know so um
0: like the US open
2: yes that's very true that's <laughs> very true i mean i i remember sending a i sent an arg- an article to the guardian which about sudan at the time uh when 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 the war when the war broke out the fighting broke out and they 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 trimmed it it was a thousand words and they they squashed it into 400 words and yet in the same edition of the guardian was pages and pages about the the, the finale of succession um the okay. series this the, the the series on on tv you know everybody had something to say about you know the 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 the, fi- the finale of, of of succession and so you 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 just realize then you know it hits you on the face on how how not important, you know, the, 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 the Africa is and how to the, to the Western sort of, um, uh, uh to even to the Western liberal news, uh, consumer. So it's, 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 it's quite, it's, 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 uh, it's a tough situation. Yeah.
1: Well, we will link in our show notes to that piece. Um, thank you for mentioning it. And I wish we could see the longer version. That is also a very familiar story. Um, I'm horrified and yet not at all surprised. So we want to pivot to talk about your remarkable new novel, River Spirit, which I loved so much and which touches on so many of the themes we've been talking about in relation to current news. And the book, of course, covers the period of time leading up to the British occupation of Sudan. You originally planned to write a book set in the early 1900s when Khartoum was rebuilt after the British invasion, but you ended up Putting and, and setting it in an earlier time period. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that ended up happening.
2: Yeah, I kind of wanted to write about the architecture of the city and how it was built. And and uh, and then I, I went on a residency. Um I was at the Rockefeller residency in Bellagio at the very beginning of, of of the project. And I spoke about it and I said, Oh, I want to do a link between Sudan and and Scotland, and 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 then one of the, the the people there said to me, "Well, the obvious link is Gordon Charles Gordon, who was the general um, in Sudan who was killed by these revolutionary um, Sudanese who were following this uh, this figure who they felt was, you know, the, the the kind of the Messiah coming at the end of time." And I was like, oh, I know the story. Of course, I've done it in history. I've done it in school. I've done it in university. I know the story inside out, but it's just too dramatic. It's too, uh, it was made into a film. Um, uh, Hollywood, you know, had a go at it with Charlton Heston and uh, as the Charles Gordon and Lawrence Orvier in blackface as the Mahdi. Surely I, <laughs> surely I wouldn't, uh, you know, be able to pull it off. But but I did pull it off. So that was good. <laughs> So at first, I was kind of wary of it, you know, battles and and things like that. But, um, but I, you know, I I, I did it. And once I decided to do it, it was it was great. It was, you know, really good, good fun to do it and and to delve in the history. And it was exciting. And, and it is an exciting story. So so the history is sort of exciting. And I didn't I actually didn't make anything up. I didn't take liberties with the history. I was just very accurate because the, the truth is, was really more exciting than anything, you know, anybody could dream up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> We'd love to have you uh, read a passage of the book um, and we can hear about this story directly and hear your descriptions of Khartoum, uh, which are also very beautiful.
2: So I have um, I wrote about Charles Gordon in um, one chapter that the 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 novel uh, tells this the 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 story the history from different um, points of view. Uh, some of the characters are you know women. Some of the characters are men. Some of them are supporting of this um, uh, revolution and supporting of this the character of the Mahdi. But um, um, this chapter is from the point of view of of Charles Gordon, and he's there in Khartoum he's um he's um you know he's he's holding it he's protecting it from the 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 rebels who are you know surrounding the the city at this uh, stage through your telescope you see them they're arriving every day more and more of them spears and livestock camping across the white nile their banners shifting in the breeze panning the telescope to the north you can see the others across the blue nile the neighboring tribes who are threatening Khartoum. They are awaiting the arrival of the Mahdi, men who have abandoned their land to fight the holy war or have been forced to do so because it is no longer enough for a village to pay allegiance to the Mahdi. They must fight for him too. Who is doing the cultivation now? No one, and starvation lies ahead for everyone. Khartoum can only last a few more months. From the palace steps, you watch Stuart embark on the Abbas, the river is favorably high, and the steamer is filled with ammunition, a mountain gun, and 50 soldiers. Stuart is taking the smallest of the steamers, shallow enough to navigate the tricky rocks of the waterfalls. With Stuart are the English and French consuls, the senior boatyard engineer, Malcolm Ramsey. They will fight their way downriver through Berber, and perhaps if the Sudanese in the vicinity rally, the city can be retaken. That would be such a feather in Stuart's cap. You have given him your journal to hand over, your code book, inventories of the supplies of ammunition and food in Khartoum, the urgency of the situation. That is what he must convey to your superiors in Cairo and London. They are divided. Some are on your side and others dragging their feet. Queen Victoria trembles for your safety. She writes to Gladstone, the Prime Minister, Gordon must not be abandoned. And Lord Harrington, Secretary of State for War, agrees. But Lord Granville, the Foreign Secretary, is happy to abandon you. It is unthinkable but true that Gladstone himself has risen in Parliament and expressed sympathy for the Mahdists. These people are struggling to be free, and they are struggling rightly to be free. Rightly, he says, rightly, after you warn of the danger for the whole region, for Suez, for the future. It takes so long for news to reach you, for you to know what is happening in England. Eventually, you learn that all through the summer, the debate about the Khartoum siege has gone on, with the press taking your side. Your anti abolitionist friends have forgiven your misstep of reinstating slavery and rallied. Hartington threatened to resign. Finally, at the end of August, before Stuart's sale, Gladstone had given in, and £300,000 were authorized for a relief expedition it is on the way you have forced their hand so Gordon then just waits you know and 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 that is the real that is kind of the the exciting part of him waiting uh for the relief expedition and will it come won't it come uh will it come in time and 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 i kind of grew up with this story and uh and i lived very close to the palace where he was living and where he stood with his telescope every morning so I could see all that and I you know uh, as I was writing I you know I could visualize all of these things and I could you know I could put myself in his shoes you know with the telescope and 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 just waiting for the site of this rescue expedition uh, uh you know to come to come um, um you know up the Nile to to rescue him.
0: okay we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. So when you heard the story as a kid, um, and thank you so much for the
1: beautiful reading, is the story of Charles Gordon Gordon told as the story of, I mean, is he a hero? It's so interesting to me that, right, it's this one chapter and you use the second person also. So you're like, you're in his shoes and you're also just a little outside them.
2: Well, the thing with the second person, he's got a lot of journals and and there's so many books written about him. So I was like, you know, how am I going to write about him? And, 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 you know, the I'm really not like him at all and so and then suddenly I got this sentence in my head um you like how they say your name you know you like how this means say your name and so it just oh I just oh it's the second person so I'll just use that and I and I used it and it went on and it flowed and I thought okay that's it that's working so I I I kept on with that the reason I heard about the story as that he was the hero is that my great great grandfather at the time was supporting Gordon. He was he was working for the the government the government the, the Khartoum uh, government, um, and he was from um, you know he was from Egyptian ancestry, and he had come and married a local a local woman, and all the people in Khartoum and all the northern tribes they were against um the 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 uprising they were supporting of 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 Gordon. And uh, so this is how I I I um the story was 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 given to me. But then in the school books we were given a different story. We were given the story that that Gordon was of course the foreign uh, colonizer and he was the baddie and that the the, the 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 and that the movement was a national movement and that it was you know in in the right and it was uh, um um you know it 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 was it was to drive the foreigners out of of, of the country so i had the both of both versions as i was uh, growing up and both were very romanticized you know once you dig in into the research you realize that of course gordon was 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 not really such the you know the wonderful heroic uh, charlton heston sort of hollywood figure uh, and at the same time also the the movement was 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 flawed and it was it started off as a revolution with a kind of idealistic aims and and equality between people and a kind of a, a austerity and not wanting to be um you know to be materialistic. but once they reached Khartoum, they were pillaging and looting and um and raping and and, and all of that and on top of that they there were, you know, they 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 started off uh, maybe idealistically, but then they went down a route of being like ISIS or Boko Haram and 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 kind of these ra- radical Islamic uh, movements. So it wasn't it wasn't such a a, a great thing um, either. And then once they were successful, I mean, you, the, the, this is what you know one has to give them credit for in that, you know, the country um after you know they got um they, they took over Khartoum the, the country was independent for fourteen years in a kind of a an ocean of French and British colonialism there was this one country that was uh self-ruling you know it was it was totally in in, in independent for 14 years and of, until of course the the British wanted there to avenge the death of Gordon and they and they and they they went in and they uh, you know made the Sudan part of the the British uh, the British empire so that's 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 how it it, it happened but uh, it even during this self rule of 14 years there were some good things but again because of the war the warlike nature that it, it, uh, the 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 the, the um, you know the rule took the, the rule of the mahdis took the country was really kind of uh, in a in a bad in a bad uh, situation because and, and very poor and, um, and so it, it, it was a quite a rough, uh, rough time in the history of
1: Sudan. So just to, um, make sure that we put this term in there for our listeners, the term you're using, um, Mahdi is the term for the Messiah who is, is kind of coming at the end of times. And this is actually the, the modest revolution that you were writing about. So, um, in case those of our listeners who want to, to look up that term, I went down that rabbit hole. It was pretty fascinating And there's so much in what you just said, right? We've been talking about this conflict that started in Sudan, basically like mid-April. And so many of the things that we just asked you about that conflict, I could also ask you about the period of time that you were writing about. Um, You know, there's so much that, that kind of rhymes there. You know, a short while after the passage that you read, you can hear Charles Gordon describing women blaming him that they're unable to feed their children, the high cost of living. So you started this novel in 2018 in Bellagio, and the coup that brought General um, Al-Burhan to power was just a year later. I'm curious about how contemporary politics affected your approach to this book.
2: Yeah, so I wrote it, um, you know, uh, I wrote it during the, the COVID lockdown, and that was after the revolution took place in Sudan. It was quite a positive time. There was a lot of positivity, you know, the Sudan was, uh, it had been under sanctions for so many years and the sanctions were lifted and, and we had for a time, we had a civilian president, um, uh, President uh, Hamadok, and 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 people were happy with him. Um, so it was actually a positive time. And so I wrote the book at a time of, of positivity and I don't know. Uh, and it was published. It was reviewed. It was launched um, in March, and then the, the what happened is Sudan happened in April. So quite a lot of people read it, you know, with with it echoing that what's happening. But I never wrote it, of course, uh, with knowing that that was gonna happen. I had I had no idea. Um, so I don't know what it's like for people to read it as you're describing and and, and see the the rhyming and the, and, and and the echoing. I, I have no idea when I wrote it. It was quite a, a very kind of an optimistic uh, time uh, that that I wrote it, and so I had this um, um, this kind of um, you know um, positive feeling about about all of that about Sudan.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Layla. Um, listeners, don't miss uh, Layla's new novel, River Spirit, out now. And if you're a listener in Toronto. You can catch Sugi and Layla together at the Toronto International Festival of Authors on September 30th.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us.
0: That's it for the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast. This podcast is produced by Ann Kniggendorf. Our theme music is composed by Travis Workman. You can subscribe to us by typing fiction slash non slash fiction into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. Please go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done it yet. You can also listen, find previous episodes, and read excerpts from our interviews at the Literary Hub website, lithub.com, where the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast page is listed under the Lit Hub Radio tab. We'll also post that show page with links to the books we referenced this week on Facebook at FNFPod, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. You can find video of our interviews at our own Fiction Nonfiction Podcast YouTube channel, and IGTV channel, and on our website at fnfpodcast.net, where our back episodes are grouped by topic areas. Happy reading!